Those of you who were here last week know from what Melissa said that uh, I was out of town in Oklahoma City attending my uh, daughter's graduation, and it was a wonderful, wonderful event. My niece also graduated from a different school, but in the same area. So we had quite a few family members there, and I was so grateful to be part of that and to have a few days to enjoy the time with family and to just be part of a great culmination of a long journey. Um, it was wonderful, except for um, the fact that uh, I came down with a terrible, terrible cold, one of the worst colds that I've had in a long, long time, which pretty much wiped out one of the days. Um, but I was fortunate. Uh, there's a physician who was able to write a prescription for me, and I think I have this right. I'm not all that familiar with some medications, but I think it's called a Z-Pack, something like that, where you take medication over the course of six days, and it's uh, some type of antibiotic that's intended to wipe out anything that can be wiped out by antibiotics. Um, but here was my favorite moment in all of this. It was what happened right after she wrote that prescription. Uh, she reached into her bag, and this is for all you naysayers out there who have made light of something that I have contended for a long time and have shared with you about the best medication that's known to mankind. She reached over to her bag after handing me the prescription and said, and let me suggest that you take these as well. And she gave me a box of Luden's cherry cough drops. Yes, they are, without a doubt, the most powerful medication known to mankind They've got some amazing God-given ingredient called pectin. I don't know what that is or what it does. It was almost as if she was saying to me, here's the best medicine has to offer, but in case that doesn't work, here is a box of Luden's cherry cough drops. They have been amazing in this journey for me. I recommend them to anyone and everyone, whether you're sick or not. As a kid, I would feign being sick just to get some Ludens. I um, decided on that trip to uh, drive a vehicle back. Um, I had a plane ticket to come back, but felt like uh, the vehicle that my daughter had used might be good if I was able to transport it back in this time. Um, so that there could be a vehicle for here for her to use. And so... Um, my wife and daughter chose to avail themselves of the plane tickets that they already had. So this was a solo jaunt of about 1,300 miles. And I left about 4.30 in the afternoon after having taken the car to the mechanics, something that I wasn't able to fix or even attempt. But the air conditioner had gone out for some reason, and Oklahoma was hot, and Yuma, I know, is always hot, and Acatillo, or however you pronounce that little town that's out there near Yuma, is hot, and Albuquerque's hot, and uh, what had happened, something had happened in this thing right up under the dash where there's a little motor with a door that forces the air to either go over the, when you turned on the air conditioner, it blew out heated air, so it starts out at 
90 degrees and just goes up from there. It's just quite the thrill ride. So I took it to the mechanics and he explained what the problem was. The part is not easy to come by, so he said it'll be quite a few days before we can get the part in, and I was planning to leave within the hour. He said, what I can do for you is that I can lock that little door so that it forces the air over the cooling foil. Great idea. Just lock that thing. That's fantastic. And I got some cool air on my way home. What I did not anticipate, driving from northern Arizona through the Pony Express Trail down through the Tonto Forest, that it would be 40 degrees, freezing cold, and I had no heat at all, just air conditioning. It was so cold which was fortunate, I guess, because it was 2 in the morning when I hit that stretch, and I cannot sleep when I am freezing. I had this mantra going, I got to make it to Phoenix. I got to make it to Phoenix. I got to make it. It'll be warm in Phoenix. I got to Phoenix. It warmed up. As soon as that happened, I was completely exhausted, pulled off to the side, slept for a few hours before I finished the ride in to make it back home. So circumstances didn't turn out exactly like I had anticipated. I want to take you in the midst of that story to 1 Peter. The trip gave me plenty of time to think about where we have been in Peter. Plenty of time in that stretch of drive to do a lot of things. I, for the first 200 miles, I counted roadkill. There was just a couple dead deer, a couple dead armadillos, a dead possum, a live snake right in the middle of the road. Tried to straddle that. I don't know if it's dead now or not. I have no idea, but I did my best to preserve it. Um, I did have the momentary thought as I looked in my rearview mirror and I couldn't see it, that somehow it had snagged a ride, and thought didn't stay with me very long. I just kept on driving. But I thought about this First Peter passage, chapter 3. In verse 13, Peter starts off by speaking to us about kind of a continuation of things that we have been looking at. How do we live faithful lives? How do we deal with suffering? What does it look like in our journey? How do we react? He asks a question is anybody going to be harmed for doing good? Sounds like a rhetorical question. In some ways, it probably is, except the answer that you would think would be, of course not, is contradicted by so much more of Scripture. Paul, over and over again in Paul's writings, having lived a life of faithfully sharing the good news, living righteously, encouraging others to do the same, of traveling to places and pouring his life out for other people, also lists the number of times he was beaten, stoned, thrashed, thrown in prison, thrown out of the city. Paul's not the only one. John writes of his journey. This is John, the one who writes of love and talks about love in such glowing terms. And yet John faced his own 
set of persecuted circumstances, found himself banished to an island. One of the few disciples that we think might have died of old age, the others were martyred. People who did good and yet found a bunch of harm came their way. Their circumstances did not turn out as they thought it might. Because there is not a direct correlation between giving our lives to the Lord, living faithfully, and happiness. At least the kind of happiness that the world speaks about. Not a direct correlation between living righteously and success, at least as the world speaks about success. So we have to be honest about this journey of ours and what it means. I mean, even Peter, after asking this question that sounds like it's rhetorical, comes back with the very next sentence that says, but even if you are harmed for doing good, make certain that Jesus is the Lord of your life and live faithfully because in doing that, there is blessing inherent in Jesus being the Lord of your life. He then goes on to say and be prepared to give a reason for your faith. Let's be honest. When it doesn't go well, when living righteously results in incredibly difficult circumstances, and if somebody is to ask you in that moment, so why? Why do you still believe? What's the reason for your faithfulness? What's your answer? This morning feels to me like I, I, I need to say, near the beginning of this message, that, that this is really a text, a passage, for those who have given their life to Christ. And I know that there are people in the congregation this morning for whom that's not true, and I am so glad you are here. And I hope in being here that you will hear some things. You will hear an honest confession of when we haven't lived our faithful lives very well. That you will hear a confession of when the church has not been a very good ex example of the character of Christ. And that there might be something also in what you hear that is compelling, that whets your appetite about the very thing we talk about, of why we hold on to our faith. But for those of us who have given our life to Christ, and have expressed this desire to live faithfully, Listen closely to what Peter says. Proclaim Jesus is the Lord of your life. Give a reason for your faith. But make sure you do so in proclaiming it with gentleness and respect and a clear conscience. I'm not sure that I have always done that very well. I'm not sure the church has always done that very well. 
My heart breaks when I either talk to people or hear of people who have been so hurt by the church that they've decided to never return. I know there are a number of reasons why that might take place, but I know that sometimes it's the way in which the church has treated those individuals or treated somebody they love. Someone who says, the way in which my mom was treated, I'll never darken the door of a church again. Or the way they tried to cover up such and such, I have no trust or faith in that organization called the church. I received an email from a friend in another state who has led a church plant into a portion of the city that he longed to make a difference. And he sent me a copy of a Facebook post that he saw that distressed him. It was a very simple sentence of somebody who discovered that this group of people were coming in and planting a church in Midtown. And the line said, keep churches out of Midtown. harsh. We would long that just the opposite would be the case. That there would be a longing for churches to come because they make a difference. Because they improve our communities. They enhance our neighborhoods. They bring about the kind of change that is compelling and makes the world a better place, makes our neighborhood a better place. And that's what he faced, is a viewpoint that somehow the church's absence is better for us. How do we present our message? How do we present the good news? Peter says we have to present this as we confess our faith with gentleness, with respect, with a clear conscience. I told you that I had the opportunity just a few weeks ago to be with some of our missionaries overseas. I was with one that I might have mentioned to you, Janice Sundberg. She and her husband give oversight to work that's in the Bulgaria-Romania area of, um, of that portion of the world. She was talking about the number of refugees that are coming out of other countries into the places where she serves and what it feels like to try and have the opportunity and try to minister to the people who are coming. She said they feel, as I talk to them, they feel pressed on every side. All of the unknowns, pressed by the culture they left, now pressed by the culture they've stepped into. Unfamiliar with all the rules and regulations, everybody telling them what to do, what not to do feels like their world has shrunk dramatically. Uncertain of where to live, how to get resources. What an opportunity, she said, to step into their life. And I love the phrase she used, to try and create space for them. To try and create enough room where they can think, reflect, plan, figure it out. What an amazing message 
for us who want to share the good news. We don't always do that very well. Very often, I would think people would describe us as being ones who back others into a corner. We argue and debate and push and make statements that make people retreat, step back until they feel cornered. And when somebody is cornered, they strike out. They strike back. They clamor for some more space. That doesn't seem to me to be the way by which Jesus stepped into people's lives. This same day where we were having this conversation, um, we were making our way from one park area to another area going down through a sidewalk system that was underground. And it was the day where I took the tour of Kiev. It was an amazing day, one of the best of my year. And as we're descending down these steps, there were glass doors in front of me that kind of took us underground. And I could see my reflection in the glass doors, and I could see the people that were with me, Tiana and her husband and two others, and then those who were behind me. And the lady in front of me started slowing down, so I couldn't go down my steps quite as rapidly as I had initially taken those steps. <clears throat> and I noticed in the reflection, but I didn't think about it, others who were coming up on me, and I was a little uncomfortable because I didn't want to slow them down, but this lady in front of me was slowing down. Unbeknownst to me, they were hemming me in. The lady in front, one who came up right on my right shoulder and two behind me, and they were seconds away from either taking a knife to the bottom of my backpack and emptying the contents or reaching into all of my pockets and taking whatever I had. And I don't think they would have gotten much. All I recall are some lemon drops that were in my pockets and not much more than that. Had they been Luden's cherry drops, I would have felt like it was a great loss, but not the lemon drops. But before I knew what was happening, the two that were standing beside me, one of them yelled at those who had gotten on this side of me, and the other did an incredibly fast arm sweep across my back and down my left side to knock off any arms that were about to reach into my pockets. I was so startled by both of them that I was still a walking target, and I turned to my left, and within two seconds, all five of them had disappeared into the crowd. My two friends had created safe space for me. They had reached around me and provided for me a safety zone. What an amazing gift. What a gift it is when our gospel message that's not so much spoken with our words, though sometimes that's the case, but spoken with our actions, creates for others a safe space to ask questions, to reflect, to engage with somebody who actually is willing to listen, maybe even more than that, who expresses by their entire demeanor that they might even learn something from my experience. How often I have thought that somebody else's journey needed to mirror my own. 
that somehow God worked with everyone else in the same order and in the same way that he works with me. I, I think that's probably just idolatry. It's a God of my own creation. That's not God. God can work in so many different ways. It does not have to mirror my experience. But if I give a confession of my faith with gentleness and deep respect, trying to maintain that clear conscience and provide for people space for them to be on their journey, to whet their appetite, to coat it with a wonderful cherry flavoring that makes the medicine go down so easily. What I want to do. I've mentioned before, I have a wonderful dentist. In contrast to the dentist that I've told you about that I had when I needed dental work done and went to the Ohio State University Medical Dental School and turned myself over to a student there by the name of Patrick whose name is forever emblazoned on my mind that I will never go to a Patrick again, just in case it's the same one. Patrick had never taken the courses on customer service and how to sell your services in good ways. Patrick used various phrases on me that I still remember to this day. Boy, you bleed a lot is one of the phrases I remember very well. Thanks so much, Patrick. And in the midst of one very long procedure, right in the middle of it, he just blurts out, Oh, crap! My mouth is filled with his hands and his equipment, and I wanted to stop everything and say, what does that mean? Stop. Get the professor over here. Something. Don't keep working, Patrick. But I couldn't talk. So the nightmare continued. I think I mentioned this to you one time about the fourth or fifth visit. One of the other students took my blood pressure before the procedure began. And he said to me, have you always suffered from high blood pressure? I've never suffered from high blood pressure. What I wanted to say, but I didn't, is, have you met Patrick? This is the source of my high blood pressure. <clears throat> One time in particular, I am not exaggerating at all. Patrick was to give me Novocaine, and he just prepped the whole thing right in front of me with the needle, pulling the stuff in, sets the Novocaine down with the needle, and he's hitting, and the thing squirts out the top. And just as I'm looking at it, the needle gets bigger. I mean, I know it's not getting larger, but that's what happens when you stare at those things. And from about two or three feet away, he begins the entry plan into my mouth. And I'm getting as wide as I can, trying to move to make sure he doesn't miss the target. It was so exhausting and emotionally draining. My current dentist is just a genius. He engages me in conversation. He does some kind of prep thing where I can't see it while we're talking. 
sticks his finger in my mouth and he kind of taps the area. I don't know if it softens it up or distracts me or what, but right in the middle of the conversation, I don't even know it. He just sneaks the needle in. It just comes from out of view and it just is in there before I even know it. And then after it's in there, he apologizes for any discomfort. The needle comes out and he rubs the spot like I used to do for my little girl when she would have something that hurts and I'd rub that a little bit. I felt like I was back in my mother's arms as he does this miracle thing. I have at times asked him for more Novocaine because it's just not a frightening procedure. It's packaged well. It's presented in an amazing way. He creates for me a safe space. As if emotionally he sets his elbows wide and keeps things at a distance so I can feel comfortable in the moment, which is what I long to do for my faith. The gospel is truth, and the truth is compelling. It works as God's Spirit works it. I need to be faithful and to trust God's sovereignty, the Spirit's guidance, that seeds that are planted take root, to do it with the kind of gentleness and respect that the method matches the message. If the message is about grace and forgiveness and hope, then shouldn't the method mirror that same thing? Shouldn't the method be a method of grace and respect and forgiveness and hope? That's the call for us, is to be purveyors of the good news and to do it in ways that help others feel enough safety that they can engage in this powerful working medicine. a wonderful reminder to me to just carry my ludens around for a while. How tasteful is the good news? How compelling or how repulsive? It's a wonderful charge to us. Let our words be this fragrant aroma. A, a taste, like the scripture tells us. A, a light sprinkling of salt that makes us want more. A flavoring that says, oh, I think I am interested in 
whatever it is that you have. Jesus tells us in Matthew, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, but I tell you, somebody strikes you on one cheek, just turn the other cheek also. Somebody sues you to take your coat, just because you can, give them your cloak as well. Somebody compels you to go with them one mile. Now by your choice, go a second mile. Pay attention to those who are asking and who are in need. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbors, hate your enemies, but listen to me. Love your enemies. Love others. Do good to those who persecute you. Pray for those who use you. God sends the rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. I mean, if all you do is love those who love you, what are you doing more than anyone else? And if you agree to only those who are related to you, what are you doing more than the pagans? Ah, but you step into this place where the Father has taught you. A place where your life provides for others safe space. A place where others can reflect on their journey. A place where people can struggle and expose some of their weaknesses and ask for help because because you've realized that the way by which many of us take medicine is because the cherry taste tastes so good that we're ready to take it at a moment's notice when it's packaged that way. Father, We confess we've not always done this well. Sometimes, Lord, the poor choices we've made have been made more within the church than outside the church. The ways in which... Uh, A word has been given with the wrong intent or in the wrong packaging that has hurt someone else. Where we have been more concerned about the boundaries that we think have to be established within the context of this place instead of, Lord, creating a space for movement and growth a place of peace and peace-giving. Where our humor and gaining a laugh has been more important than providing encouragement and help. Critiquing others for too little schooling, too much schooling, too young, too old. Criticisms that tie to gender issues 
to know, Lord, that here in this place, we have a pastor who's female, and with that comes critique. A senior pastor whose experience was so little in coming to this place, and that leads to mistakes. Walking in pathways with those who are on the journey together in this place and realizing that words can hurt, attitudes can repel, and your amazing message get missed. So this morning, Lord, forgive us for ways in which our method has not matched our message. For our silence has been deafening to other people. Lord, we confess sometimes we don't know what to say, we don't know how to say it, and so may these moments where we are in prayer lead us to better places of confidence, not in ourselves, but in you, of courage, not in our own strength, but in you and your resources, of a willingness to stumble forward, not in fear, but expressing our hope. Teach us what it means to be respectful of one another, gentle, grace-filled. For those who have been in our midst over the years and have been harmed by this place, Lord, please forgive us for our role. Please open a window of opportunity so that they might be softened by your spirit, guided by your love. Move them into a relationship with you, Lord, in spite of what we have or have not done. For those this morning who have just listened in, may something about this morning whet their appetite to the good news, the hopeful news, the grace-filled news of the gospel. That somehow as we confess you as Lord of our life, that you really will be Lord, not in word only, but in action as well, in motivation, in spirit, in attitude. And may those who are looking on be compelled by the way in which this changes our reactions, changes our interaction. Guides us and forms our allegiance. The way in which we do our work, no matter our vocation, that we are doing it as unto you, with a desire that your kingdom would come through our hands, through our feet, through our words, through the letters we write, that all of it would reflect you, God. Help us to create space for one another. And may, Lord, your wonderful spirit 
coat all that we do with the wonderful flavor of your goodness, your kindness, and your forgiveness. We praise your holy name.